It's edging towards the end of January. It's quite a still day today. It's about five degrees Celsius. There's a really gentle, cool breeze. But there's no movement of the branches of the trees and the and the hedges. As with all episodes, I'm starting here, on the bench, at the edge of the hedge, along the Viking Way, near where I live in Lincolnshire, in the east of England. Today, however, what's in front of me as I sit on the bench is a little bit different. I've got company. Welcome to Edge of the Hedge, a monthly podcast guiding you in rekindling and nurturing your connection with nature. Sylvester, a herbalist and nature educator from Lincolnshire, and each episode you'll join me on a gentle walk, tracking the changing landscape as the season progresses, and taking the time to explore the natural world through the senses. An audio nature almanac, helping you to cultivate curiosity and deeper connection with the natural world on your doorstep. In this episode, as we spring towards February, I have some woolly company by the edge of the hedge, and I find myself drawn to the luminescent lichen on the hawthorn. Then I head back into the village to see the yellow beacons of floral ground cover that are the winter aconite in the churchyard, and on the way, come across the chattering local starling population who've recently lost their regular perching site. The bench sits at the cross point between four fields and on the two fields that lie ahead of me there are hundreds and hundreds of sheep. I've been sat quite quietly for about the last half an hour just watching them and what I've come to realise is that the sheep in the field on the left are a bit feisty and the sheep in the field on the right are a little bit more docile how curious I would not have noticed that if I hadn't have sat and watched them for as long as I have there's usually sheep grazing the fields this time of year and they're munching on to be honest a feast. It looks like there has been the best 
overnight sheep party in Lincolnshire happening here. I'd say a good two-thirds of the sheep in the field on the right are lying down either asleep or looking pretty dozy. And the other third of the sheep are sort of wandering around munching on whatever beet or root vegetable it is that they're munching on. But there is root vegetable carnage. There are hundreds and thousands of upturned beets that have been half munched on. And it looks like there's been one serious midnight feast here. Can you hear the sheep eating? Sitting here for as long as I have, I've also noticed that it's not just the sheep in this field. If you relax the eyes, you can see little tiny movements of black and white running and hopping around the field. There's some pied wagtails here. Joining in the feast. The hedge next to the bench in recent weeks has been cut back by the flail on the farmer's tractor. Preparing it for spring and cutting back the dead growth. But even though it's cut back, it's still particularly interesting to take note of. The branches at the end of this hawthorn hedge are vibrant with colour and they're covered in this yellowy, orange, slightly green lichen all over it. I've got to admit, I didn't really take much notice of lichen until recent years. And it was in the winters that it really came to light on my walks. What was left on the hawthorn was this luminous display of life clinging to each branch. Really quite odd looking and really showing that even though it's winter and nature's preparing itself for spring, there is still life there. If you just slow your pace and look a little bit closer. If you notice a yellowy, orangey, slightly green in places, covering on some branches, have a closer look. Take a picture with your phone and then blow it up. It's phenomenally intricate. It was my first winter out here that I first noticed the lichens on Hawthorn, the bare thorny hedges seemingly glowing alongside the paths and roadsides, a stark bright contrast to the browning landscape surrounding it. Glow sticks begging to be taken notice of and appreciated amidst the dance of life, 
when all else around is cold, quiet and sleeping. The lichens are seemingly the first ones at the party to celebrate the new year. I'm a plant person, and mainly medicinal plants at that. I never studied lichen as part of my training, and truthfully, I am a complete lichen novice. But that is one of the joys of the natural world. It is impossible to know everything. There is always something new to see, something new to learn about and be utterly wowed by. Nature is never, ever boring. According to the British Lichen Society, lichens are, and I quote, not a single organism. They're a stable, symbiotic association between a fungus and an algae and or cyanobacteria. They need carbon as a food source, like all fungi do. And they get this from their symbiotic association with algae and all the cyanobacteria that are photosynthetic, meaning that they use sunlight to make nutrients from water and carbon dioxide. It's thought that this lichen symbiosis is what's called a mutualism, which is an ecological relationship where all species involved gain a positive benefit from their interaction. Lichens are very sensitive to air quality and can be used in finding out more about air quality. From what I've read, it seems that some lichens are nitrogen sensitive and some are nitrogen loving and others can be found in cleaner and more polluted areas. The lichen I found on the hawthorn, I am pretty sure is the most gloriously named Xanthoria parietina, a leafy Xanthoria which attaches to the surface of the hawthorn, and it's described as being lobes of yellow-orange with some greenish-yellow areas, and a few orange so-called fruiting bodies, which look like little cups or craters. This is one of the nitrogen-loving ones, and they look like worlds within worlds. Absolutely fascinating to see close up. Where the flail has cut back the hawthorn hedge, it's brought a new colour to the top. The hawthorn at the bottom of the hedge is this greyish, greenish, kind of aged appearance of bark. And then these smaller, thornier branches are a, are a kind of grey maroon colour. Quite a deep, interesting colour with small orangish red buds just starting to appear. Maybe only a millimetre or two in size at the moment. And then at the top, where the flails really cut the hedge back harshly, it's left it very broken, of course. But it shows that the insides of them are this orangish straw colour. Looking along the line of the hedge, 
There's a really beautiful array of colours from the brown of the footpath to the browning green of the grass at the side to a lighter green where it's less trodden and then bringing in the, the lighter browns and almost creams of the growth from last year that's died back and then this bolder purpling grey easing into red of the hawthorn hedge topped with the bare broken tops where it's been cut back by the flail and interlaced in places by the yellowing lichen for a stark winter landscape so much colour next time you're out on a walk just take a moment to perhaps slow your pace a little and relax your gaze and see what colours you notice there is some colour and some life starting to pop up from the soil. I'm going to take a walk back along the path. I head back into the village. I'm going to introduce you to a small beacon of light that pops up around this time of year, every year. The yellow beacon of the winter aconite. you are. I wonder where you were perching now. Can you hear that chatter? That's some of our local starlings. I'm so glad they found somewhere new sit and perch. There's about 30 of them sat on top of a tree, about halfway along the field. That sound, to me, used to be synonymous with starting this walk along the Viking Way, because they used to perch on some telegraph cables. almost perching themselves in an arrangement like musical notes on a stave. And they'd sit and face one way or another. Chattering away. I think it's a glorious noise. And they're such beautiful, unappreciated birds. Birds that, at one time, certainly when I was growing up, used to be seen as a, a scavenger and 
something not to be appreciated in the garden because they stole the food before the other birds could get to it. And it's only in my adult years that I came to realise how really strikingly beautiful they are. I was really sad a few months back when I walked along this route and realised that they'd taken the telegraph poles down and the wires. And that familiar sight and almost locked into behaviour of me looking up and seeing what birds were perching there. It was often starlings, but other birds used it too. There's plenty of sparrows, crows, rooks, even sometimes the occasional bird of prey of some kind. And there's not a lot of places here for large groups of birds to gather. And I was really sad when those poles were taken away. And for me, it's left a really gaping gap in the skyline. But also, a really gaping hole in the soundscape of that part of the path. They've just found another place to perch. Let's just hope that tree is safe and the housing development taking place around it. I love those starlings. Intelligent creatures as they are. I'm in the churchyard now. It's just starting to get a little bit darker now. Heading towards sunset, and I'm about 10 metres away from the holly tree that featured in the last episode. You might remember, if you listened to that one, me giving a brief mention to a very gnarly old horse chestnut tree that stands in the churchyard. And right now, I'm right underneath it. This time, though, I've come to introduce you to a small, bright flower that usually appears in the middle of January and hangs around until early March, usually. It's the winter aconite. And its Latin name is Eranthus hyamalis. Eranthus stems from the Greek... Er, spelt E-R, meaning spring. And anthos, meaning a flower, particularly an early flowering one. The winter aconite is particularly visible because it is bright yellow. As bright as the buttercup. And actually, part of the same family, the Ranunculaceae family. Underneath this horse chestnut tree, there's a little sea of these winter aconites. Small, low-growing yellow flowers 
sticking up about two or three centimetres from the soil. It's the bright yellow of this flower that immediately gives it away. Curiously, these yellow parts of the flower, whilst looking like petals, they're actually not. They're what are called sepals, which is the part of a flowering plant that protects the flower. And when you look underneath flowers, like a buttercup, for example, there's those little green protective bits just underneath the petals. And those are the sepals. On this winter aconite, these sepals are fractionally lighter than buttercup yellow. Not quite as shiny, but their texture's kind of similar. Then, just below, there's this little circular ruff of leaves underneath each flower. And there's three of them. Three leaves, with three deep cuts in each, making it look like there's around nine leaves around the base of the flower. The stem is hollow, perfectly round and very smooth. This flower that I'm looking at here has six distinct yellow sepals, of which curiously three, arranged evenly around the stem, are larger and more bulbous than the other three that sit between them, which are slightly smaller but still rounded. And these bigger sepals are, well, no bigger than my little fingernail really, quite small. Over the coming weeks, these protective sepals will gradually open up a little to display the bright yellow inside of the flower. But at the moment, most of them underneath this tree are still fairly tightly closed. Just a small opening at the top, allowing you to peek inside ever so slightly. Like most of the buttercup family, the winter aconite doesn't actually have a role to play in human health. It is actually quite poisonous to eat. And even though I'm a herbalist and one of my main interests is in medicinal wild plant life and trees, it is important to remember that not everything that grows in the world is safe to ingest. A bit like this winter aconite. The winter aconite was once native to woodland areas in Italy and other areas of surrounding Europe, but you can now find it all over Europe, including here in the UK. In Suffolk, you might also find it being called choir boys because of the rough of leaves just underneath the flower. So you could say that there's a choir of yellow flowers growing here in this churchyard. Thinking about its native origins in the woodland areas of Italy, legend has it that they only grow in England where Roman soldiers had once fallen. Curiously, these ones in this churchyard are only really a stone's throw from the old Ermine Street, one of the very straight Roman roads that runs through Lincolnshire. Who knows? Maybe Roman soldiers did fall here. And maybe there's a story to be written there. When I walked into the churchyard, there was a little boy running along the path, parents shortly behind, and he was giggling and laughing with glee with something yellow sticking out the top of his hand. The closer he got, I realised that he picked a winter aconite flower and was obviously taking it home. I hope he enjoyed it. I love that as children, 
it's really easy to get lost and engrossed in the natural world. But when we start to grow in years, sometimes that interest can wane a little bit. But I think that in each of us, there is still a giggling small child somewhere itching to experience the wonder of nature with innocence and joy. And finding it huge amounts of fun, being astonished at what you can find. When you're next out walking, try and tap into that and see what brings you joy. And if you feel like sharing, I'd love to hear what you found. Over the coming weeks, I'll be sharing some pictures taken during the recording of this episode on social media, and it will be great to hear about what's popping up in your landscape wherever you are. So do feel free to tag and share pictures or thoughts with me at Edge of the Hedge on social media. You can find out how to contact me in the show notes, where I've also popped a few more details about this episode, including links that you might find interesting. I hope you'll join me again soon for the next episode of Edge of the Hedge, where we'll continue delving into the changing natural world as the season progresses, becoming more deeply connected with nature with every step we take. If you enjoy this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you could leave a rating or review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And do feel free to share it with anyone who you feel might enjoy it, or who might just need a little bit of encouragement to slow their pace and find some peace and wonder through the natural world. Thank you so much for listening. Take good care of yourself and the nature that we share this planet with. Edge of the Hedge is written and produced by Hannah Sylvester with original music by Mark Holmes and inspired by the natural world that surrounds where I live.